Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Then Jesus shouted in a loud voice, It is finished. And it was. He had done it. Jesus had rescued the whole world. Father, Jesus cried, I give you my life. With a great sigh, he let himself die. Strange clouds and shadows filled the sky, purple, orange, black, like a bruise. Jesus' friends gently carried Jesus. They laid Jesus in a new tomb carved out of rock. How could Jesus die? What had gone wrong? What did it mean? They didn't know anything anymore, except they didn't know their hearts were breaking. That's the end of Jesus, the leader said. But just to be sure, they set strong soldiers to guard the tomb. They hauled a huge stone in front of the door to the tomb so that no one could get in or out. Jesus' friends were sad. They would never see their best friend again. How could this happen? Wasn't Jesus the rescuer? The king God had promised? It wasn't supposed to end like this. Yes, but whoever said anything about the end? Just before sunrise on the third day, God set an earthquake and an angel from heaven. When the guards saw the angel, they fell down with fright. The angel rolled the huge stone away, sat on top of it, and waited. At the first glimmer of dawn, Mary Magdalene and other women headed to the tomb to wash Jesus' body. The early morning sun slanted through the ancient olive trees, drops of dew glittering on leaves and grasses, little tears everywhere. The friends walked quietly along the hilly path through the olive groves until they reached the tomb and immediately noticed something odd. It was wide open. They peered through the opening into the dark tomb, but wait, Jesus' body was gone, and something else. A shining man was there with clothes made from lightning. Don't be scared, the angel said, but they couldn't help it. They screamed anyway. The angel asked them, what are you doing here? This is a tomb, and tombs are for dead people. The women couldn't speak. Jesus isn't dead anymore, he said. He's alive again. And their hearts leapt. And the angel laughed with such gladness that they felt, for a moment, as if they had woken from a nightmare. As if they had awakened from a nightmare. Good morning, church. It's a good day to awake from a nightmare, isn't it? Because everything we would hope for can be found on the other side of that dream. What began as a week of celebration on Sunday with Jesus being entered into the holy city, being pronounced King Jesus, what the Jews had been waiting for, what Israel as a nation had been promised from the beginning, ended tragically that weekend. They were disillusioned and they were desperate. It was a nightmare. It wasn't figurative. It was real. It was the most significant moment in the history of time. Nothing has altered history like would take place that week. And then on Sunday... Everything changed. Not just the history changed, but everything after that changed. Matthew chapter 28 says, After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came from heaven, down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen. Just as he said... Come and see the place where he lay. And the nightmare was over. Twenty-so years later, 
The Apostle Paul, who at this time was not a follower of Jesus, but would become one because of the resurrection, would write these words to a church like us. He would write this. I told you the most important part of the message exactly as it was told to me. Christ died for our sins, as the scriptures say, and he was buried. I think there's a misunderstanding taking place today because most people think that's where the story ends. And they they have Jesus as this noble man who did a romantic thing. He loved us enough to die for us. And if that's where the story ends, it's a sad story. It's romantic, yes. It's not meaningful. People die all the time for those they love. Police officers, firemen, soldiers, parents, and romantically in literature, lovers. And yet, death still goes on, pain still goes on, suffering still goes on. But Paul pronounced there's something more significant than just the fact that he died and was buried. He says, and three days later, he was raised to life, as the scriptures say. And that's the difference. That's the difference between Jesus' story being romantic and Jesus' story being reality-altering. You see, the resurrection converted everything from a philosophy about how we should live to an actual living king who shows us how to live. It's not a philosophy, it's a reality. And it would become the theme of Paul's writings that we're no longer to walk around in death, but we're to walk around in life because of what Jesus did, not what we do, because of what we celebrate here this morning. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope you do, if not, if you have an app on one of your devices, please open those to Ephesians chapter 1, because I want to share with you a prayer that Paul prayed that we're praying over this congregation this morning. And in fact, we've prayed it over our city this day, and the surrounding churches in this area, that God's message of the gospel would penetrate. And it sounds a lot like what Paul writes in Ephesians 1, verses 17 and 18. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know. That word know there is interesting. It doesn't mean just head knowledge. It actually means experientially. It's the knowledge of having an experience with something that allows you to trust and to believe. Many of you recognize the name William Randolph Hearst. At the turn of last century, he was one of the wealthiest uh, newspaper publishers in the entire world, and he was famous for having a voracious appetite for all things rich and fancy. And he was an obsessive art collector. He wanted to collect every great piece of art in the world and own it for himself. And one day he found a description of a couple of pieces of art, one in particular that he really, really wanted. So he got his representatives together and he said, I want you to go find me this and bring it back to me at any cost. I want this. And so his representatives did what he told them to do. And after months of searching and thousands of dollars in expenses, the representatives reported back to Mr. Hurst and they told him he already owned it. It was in his warehouse uncrated. Thousands of dollars, hours of manpower to have something he owned. And when I was sharing this illustration, Drake Holderman, who's preaching in the North Building right now, uh, he and I were talking to me, he goes, he goes, do you ever wonder what the piece of art was? And I think we found it. <laughs> I think that's what he was after, don't you? Well, maybe not, but you get the point. There are many, thank you for laughing. I could get fired over that. Thank you. God bless all of you. The point of Paul's prayer for us this morning is this. He's not praying that we receive something we don't have. 
Listen to his prayer. He's actually praying that we will hold on to what we already have in Jesus. His prayer isn't for something new. It's to hold on to the good gospel. At this point, decades old but still powerful. The resurrection mattered 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead, and it matters 2,000 years after Jesus is raised from the dead. So his prayer is about what we could have. No, it's about what we already have through the resurrection. Look at verse 17 with me. I keep asking that God may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. You see, the power of the resurrection allows that we may know God better. It allows that not only possibility, it allows that reality. That we can live knowing God better. You see, there are some people, and there may even be some here this morning, and I'm not belittling you, but I'm going to give you an answer to your suggestion. And there are some people who believe that there is no God to know. That there really is no God, that this, this world is just a series of events that occurred, and it is what it is, and when it's over, it's over. And then there are other people that claim that if there is a God, we can't know him. There's no way to really know him. So you just live your life, and he's there, and we're here, and it just goes about on separate paths, and they never cross. But I'm here to tell you this morning that what you find in the resurrection answers both of those claims. Jesus came to reveal that there is a God, and he was that God. And Jesus came so that we could know him. What he did in his teaching, what he did in his miracles, what he did in his prophesying, and what he did in his death and resurrection is so that you and I can know that God is not in heaven disinterested and disoriented. God is actively involved in our world, meeting each one of us in our reality, and Jesus is the proof of that. So for those who say there is no God, let me introduce you to Jesus. And if you give him your attention, and if you give him a thorough understanding, and you spend time understanding the Jesus revealed through the power of the Holy Spirit in the scripture, you will receive the revelation Paul prayed for. I don't mean that you'll have information no one else has. You'll have information billions of people have, and it'll change your life. And you can also know him personally. And you can receive the kingdom that he's establishing for us. Jesus said in the, in the Gospel of John, the 14th chapter, if anyone has seen me, you have seen the Father. If you behold who Jesus is, you can know God better because Jesus was acting out God's design for him to reveal the Father through the Son so that we could become his children. I want you to know this this morning. God is revealing himself to you in Jesus and through his Holy Spirit, he can reveal to you what the purpose of life is, to live in relationship with him. But knowing that there's a presence of God available is not the same as knowing the presence of God. And this is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday. You see, if Jesus is the only one raised from the dead, it's a nice story, but my story's sad. I don't need to celebrate his resurrection. I need to celebrate what's possible because of his resurrection. And that is that I know my father and my father loves me and sent the son to die for me. And in that truth, I can find my purpose again. I can find why I'm here. It's like the first time I took both of my boys on roller coasters when they were younger. I wanted, I not only wanted them to experience the roller coaster, I wanted to experience it with them. I wanted them to have all the best. It's like when I introduce them to the best foods and I still can't get my youngest son to try a White Castle hamburger. Oh, what he's missing in life. You're judging me. You see, there are things in life that need to be experienced, not just understood, but experienced. And this is what God is offering us through Jesus and the resurrection, an experience with him where the sin is gone and the divider is removed and there's no obstacle between our hearts and his. 
You see, I'm just going to be honest with you. No, no punches pulled here this morning. I want those of you who call yourselves disciples of Jesus, and I don't doubt that you are and you desire that, but I want all of us who call ourselves disciples to move beyond believing that Jesus was raised from the dead, and because of his being raised from the dead, I want to become a learner of his. I want to become a follower of his, and I want to live in the riches he offers me. I want to be in relationship with him, and I want that for you too. And I want those of you who are standing back and uncommitted to this, I want you to stop and realize Jesus is not calling you to trust him so he can use you. And Jesus is not calling you to trust him so he can get even for the sin in your life and punish you. Jesus is asking you to trust him so he can refresh you, shape you, and remake you by his power, not by your own. You and I can't do this without resurrection power. But knowing who Jesus is opens us up to that. God has sent Jesus for the purpose of the cross so you could know his love for you. And he raised him so you could have a new relationship where death no longer is a threat. Verse 18. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. May we know the hope of eternity. And for those of you that are just visiting Christ Church, we're really glad you're here today. We're, we're glad you worship Jesus and we're honored you to worship him with us. But I want to tell you that around here, we don't define eternity as sitting in the clouds one day and ivory palaces way, way out of this earth. We believe that the Bible teaches something different. Jesus is going to come back to this place and he's going to remake a new heaven and a new earth. And we're going to be able to walk through life without worrying about muggings and death and crime and accidents. We're going to be able to walk free and clear and there'll be no cats and everything will be free and it'll be awesome. That's the kind of heaven we preach around here, church. That was a bad time to try to be funny. The hope of eternity is not one day, church. Here's the good news of the resurrection. Jesus is alive today, and you and I can be made alive today. We don't have to wait till we die. We don't have to wait till we're perfect. We don't have to wait till we accomplish enough to pay him back. We can live in the hope of the gospel message, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is Savior and King. And so we bow and worship him, and we live in the reality of the resurrection now because if Jesus just died on the cross... There's no lasting value to that. It's just romantic. But if he lives, death is no longer undefeated. In fact, death is no longer a threat. Paul prays that our hearts and the eyes of our heart would understand the hope he's offering us. In 1 John chapter 3, John wrote, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that verse. Not one day. As a follower and believer in Jesus, it's not one day, it's this day, called by his gracious love, made holy by his holiness, called out of darkness into the glorious, magnificent light that is Jesus himself, and called to a glory, not a glory about us, but the glory and the weight of how great and awesome Jesus is and what he offers every single person, including our enemies and including those who right now are in defiance to God. That love is greater than any threat. Continuing in verse 18, he says, that we may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I want to read that again. I want you to pause and notice something that I misunderstood for a long, long time. It says here that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We are Jesus' inheritance, and then he is ours. I want you to think about that. 
Ask yourself the question, what did Jesus get for the three and a half years of misery he lived in as a homeless, poor man, walking through, being misunderstood, and ultimately violated in the worst possible ways, strung up on a cross, nailed there to die in a humiliating fashion. What did he get for that? What did God give him as a reward for his faithfulness? What did he want at the end of the day? You and me. We are what he receives for having gone through what he did. We are his inheritance. And he is ours. And it doesn't take long to figure out who got ripped off in that deal. Can I have an amen? He gets us and we get him. We're going to sing this morning, the resurrected king is resurrecting me. Not one day, church, this day. We get eternity restored to the Garden of Eden with God in pure relationship, and he gets us. And with his love and his mercy, that's enough. That's what he wants. Notice it doesn't say he wants to perfect us. He wants us. He wants our soul returned back to its creator. He wants us to love him and serve him and live in the hope of that eternity now. And I'm going to tell you, I don't have to do this, but I want to. I want to give him a better version of me. How about you? I want him to understand that what he gave me through the cross and the power of the resurrection, that there is nothing in this life that gives me hope beyond that. Money can't give me that kind of hope. Relationships can't give me that kind of hope. Children or grandchildren or, or fame or accomplishment or reward or buildings being named after or any of these things, none of those matter. The only hope that's going to last outside of my breathing is what Jesus Christ offers me. He is our hope. Eternity with the perfect king, which means every act of justice you and I give in the face of injustice Every word of truth we speak in the face of anger and untruth, every created moment of beauty, every act of self-sacrificial love is not to our glory. We do it to show the world who he is. Know this. God has called us to a new purpose that is an investment in the eternity with him in his kingdom. Paul says, I I want you to know that. I want you to experience that. I want you to know God better, and I want you to understand who you are in Christ. I want you to receive that and live now saying, even when death comes on me, no threat, no worries. Even when shame comes on me, no threat and no worries. Verse 19, he continues to pray that we know his incomparably great power for us who believe that you may know the power of the resurrection. You see, we talk about the resurrection, and I I keep bringing it up because it's so important. It's easy to sit here going, well, Jesus was raised from the dead. That's awesome. But it's not as awesome as when you get to say, because of Jesus, I'm raised from the dead too. And that's incredibly awesome. As selfish as that may sound, he wants you to hold on to that as your hope and your glory. He's revealing his power toward us who believe. Not just believe in the facts, but live out the experience. Our understanding is enlightened by the Holy Spirit to hold on to the hope that Jesus offers us. Paul talks about two kinds of power here, and I just want to highlight them briefly. The first is resurrection power, and this is what we celebrate on Resurrection Sunday morning. Resurrection power, verses 19 and 20. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. 
You see, there is a power available to you and I today that does handle death once and for all. Death is no longer undefeated. Death has been defeated, and we celebrate that. But there's also moments every day of daily death, those little things that threaten us, that make us wonder, am I going to survive? Am I going to make it? Yeah, yeah, I'm going to die one day, and I know that I'm not looking forward to that day, and I don't plan on dying well. But I'm going to die one day, and I know on the other side of that, every promise Jesus has ever made has come true. But there's more power available to us than one day. It's this day. Let me tell you what it is. Cancer, God's bigger. Separation, God's bigger. Someone's betrayed you and devalued you and thrown you away as insignificant, and you've been treated like you don't matter, God's power to overcome that is greater. Don't let that define you. Let his presence define you. Despair, suffering, bankruptcy, loss of job, loss of place, loss of whatever it means, those are daily deaths we face. But by the power of the resurrection, you and I have a power to overcome those. They do not define me. I am not defined by who left me. I am not defined by who divorced me. I am not defined by who cheated on me. I am not defined by what a doctor says my prognosis is. I am not defined by my bank account or how many people know my name. I am not defined by if I'm a celebrity or not. I am simply defined by that man on the cross who walked out of that tomb and he looks at every one of us and he says, come with me. Walk out of yours too. That's the power we don't have to wait to die to see. That's the power that Paul says, I hope your heart will become awakened and you'll wake up from your nightmare and understand your hope. And then there's dominion power. And this is a three-week series and I don't have time, so here we go. Verse 20. And seated him at his right hand in heavenly realm far above all rule and authority, power and dominion. And every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He is talking about a divine dynamic that's available to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not to be found in you and me. Not to be found in positive thinking. And not to be found in what kind of church or which location of a church you attend. The power is not in the church. The power is in Jesus. And it is a power that overcomes all things. No government can threaten us and no, no threat in this world can come anywhere near the protection that Jesus is giving his people. He will keep every promise. When he walked through the tomb, he gave us his word. The power of the resurrection overcomes everything the world will threaten you with. In John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus said, because I live you will live also. Now it's up to us. It's to those who believe. You see, there's a freedom that we have over death and its threat. Oh, it will sting us, but it will not kill us. We have freedom from the worries of missing out on something in this world. Like if I don't know what's going on, I feel like I'm just missing out on something important. You'll find out that in Jesus, there's nothing this world offers you that's more important than what he's offering you. Not one day, but today. There is nothing the world can give us that Jesus isn't better than. We have freedom from the fear of desertion. We have freedom from condemnation. God is not remembering your sin. God is looking at you saying, my son did what he did to love you. Let him love you. And by allowing Jesus to love us in his power, we will love in return. We have freedom to hope through the peace that only Jesus brings. May our hearts be made aware of all that is available. Paul says, I pray that we will awaken today from our nightmare and live in hope. 
but I have to say something that's a bit provocative, and my intention isn't to take advantage of the room. I don't want to end with a little snarky comment that digs people. But I do need to say this because it's true. Resurrection Sunday is not a celebration everyone can have. The world will gather and people will come and gather to worship Jesus today who normally don't worship him, and you are welcome here to experience what it is to trust him. But I'm telling you, the Resurrection Sunday is not a celebration everyone can have if they themselves will not be resurrected at the end. You see, the power of the gospel is it's an opportunity, and God doesn't force himself on any of us. He will one day ask, what did you do with the world that you were given? What did you do with the life you were given? What choices did you make to bless other people as you were blessed by receiving life, drawing breath, and living in such a beautiful world? What did you do with your opportunity? And the only answer that's going to suffice is, I bowed my, my knee at the feet of King Jesus, and I asked him to forgive me and to receive what he was offering me. And I ran out of that tomb. And that's the hope of the gospel message today. Oh, it is such a cliche for guys like me to stand up on this Sunday when you're all dressed up and say, are you following him? I'm unashamed to ask you this because it's not using you. It's not abusing you and it's not shaming you. It's offering you an opportunity that I would be a terrible human being if I did not. When you get to know who Jesus is and you know the hope of his promises for you, and you know the power of the resurrection, I ask you a simple question. Why wouldn't you follow that man? It is our prayer today that those of you who are not followers of Jesus would consider what a choice you've made and be welcomed into the arms of the one who came and you are the gift he receives for having come. And for those of us who have followed Jesus sporadically in our lives, day in and day out, wondering what do I truly believe in? Today's a day of renewal. Give yourself to knowing him better. You can. Give yourself to the hope of eternity and say, say no to all the hopes the world offers you. And begin to live and experience for yourself today what it means to be a resurrected person living in a resurrected kingdom. Around this room are four tables. You can see the lamps lit in the corner of the room. This morning, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, there are several who have made a choice. You've seen the pictures already. And next hour, we're going to celebrate a handful of people who have chosen to be washed clean from their sin by the power of the cross to walk in newness of life in the hope of the resurrection. Is today the day that you get to know Jesus for yourself? If so, as we stand and sing, you can go to the tables or you can wait till after the service. But I'm going to ask you today, will you follow that man and what he's offering you if you do. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.